All right, well, go ahead and grab a seat. It is so good to be with you today. My name is Mike, one of the pastors on the team. You might want to grab your notes out of your handout. We're launching into a new series today. And uh, before I jump into it, though, I just want to say uh, this is the 4th of July weekend, and it's been so good. Hopefully you had a good time with friends, with family this weekend, that, uh, that you stayed cool in, you know, some kind of a water-type environment. Um, we have had more sunshine, by the way, up to the 4th of July than we typically have in any given summer. Uh, so we're excited about that. And actually, so many of you are wanting the cloud to return, I know. Uh, but what I want to say real quickly is it is important just to sort of recognize what we're celebrating, right? We, we do recognize that God has blessed America that there, there has been this blessing poured out on our nation. America, if you've done any traveling around the world, you know it really is a unique place. There really is a unique freedom that we enjoy. And, and for those of you who are aware, most of us are, freedom always requires sacrifice. And so there always is an opportunity for us to be grateful for the sacrifice that others have made so that we could enjoy the freedoms that we enjoy. And um, I guess all that to say, I just, I, I'm just really thankful. Um, and, uh, and I don't take that lightly. So can we just get an amen? You know, thanks God for what you've done. And yeah. And I do want to mention that I'm leaving my flag up today, even though it's no longer the fourth, because at four o'clock today, the U.S. women's soccer team is contending for the final. That's right. And that just would be really, really cool. I say that because uh, I, I, I want you to know there's so many in our world that, that still run women down or uh, even sports writers, sportscasters who, who make disparaging comments about women's sports. And uh, I just, uh, there's something so wrong about that. So... Um, why don't y'all watch the game today? Watch the U.S. bring the trophy home. Watch the title return to America. Like, that would be a great way to sort of shut the, the stupid people up, right? <laughs> so, uh, somebody, do I clap? I don't know. Uh, you know, I have a lot of random thoughts. Should I just keep going? Um, you guys feel, why did I come to church today? All right, so we're starting in the book of Acts, and... I want to begin by asking a question. Have you ever read a book and, and you loved it, so at some point later in your life, you go back to a book you've already read and read it again? Show of hands, how many of you have reread a book you've loved? How about a movie? How many of you have, have rewatched a movie that somehow moved you? Anybody rewatch? If you have kids, how many of you rewatched a movie a thousand times? Anybody? Okay. Now, the question is, get, get sort of into why we do this. Why would we pick up a book that we already know where it's going to go? Like, we already know the plot twist. We already know who done it at the end. We, are, we already know where the arc of this thing goes, and yet we'll pick it up and read the thousand pages again. Or a movie. Why, why would we push play again on a DVD that we've already seen in the past? And my hunch has to do with the fact that there was some unique delight in the experience the first time, or there was some emotional connection the first time, or there was some power that we experienced the first time, and so we'll go back and read something again or watch something again to reconnect with the delight, to reconnect with that emotion, to reconnect with the power. And I say all this because the book of Acts is certainly like that. 
In fact, Pastor Gary on our team, he has a colleague who reads through the book of Acts every single month. There is so much delight in it and so much emotion and so much power. And by the way, I want to remind you, Overlake, that, that the power that we see working through the book of Acts, God's power working through the book of Acts is still available for God's power working through the church today in the world. We don't believe there's been a shift or a change. It's exactly the same. And so we want to reconnect with that delight and that emotion and that power. That's why, Overlake, we want to challenge you in the month of July to read through the book of Acts. As we go through this series, we want to challenge every one of you to read through the book of Acts so that we can reconnect with these truths that we know are true. This emotion that we know is powerful for our lives today. And I want to begin where we, we already did, you know, a, a series in Acts earlier this year. This is sort of a part two to that series. So we're starting sort of halfway through the book, but we're in chapter 10. So if you have your Bibles, open them up to Acts 10, and then uh, it, it, they'll be in your notes. They'll be on the screen as well. We'll jump into this unique story about a Roman, Roman army officer named Cornelius. It says this. In Caesarea, there lived a Roman army officer named Cornelius, who was a captain of the Italian regiment. He was a devout, God-fearing man, as was everyone in his household. He gave generously to the poor and prayed regularly to God. One afternoon, about three o'clock, he had a vision in which he saw an angel of God coming toward him. Cornelius, the angel said. Cornelius stared at him in terror. What is it, sir? He asked the angel. The angel replied, your prayers and, and gifts to the poor have been received by God as an offering. Now send some men to Joppa and summon a man named Simon Peter. He is staying with Simon, a tanner who lives near the seashore. As soon as the angel was gone, Cornelius called two of his household servants and a devout soldier, one of his personal attendants. He told them what had happened and sent them off to Joppa. Okay, so in that passage, we see a few things. Cornelius is faithful. He's devout. He's God-fearing. And he's, he prays regularly to God. He offers himself to God. He offers his life to God. He's praying to God. And he's giving to the poor. And what the angel tells Cornelius is that those things matter to God. That your prayers matter to God. And your giving, your generosity, that matters to God as well. That God sees that. He hears your prayers. He knows what's going on with you. And he sees your acts of kindness and generosity. These things matter to who God is. And the angel just reveals that to Cornelius. Right? You're not praying in vain. You're not giving in vain. And Overlake, I want you to understand that's true for you. So the angel shows up. And then the angel says something that's really interesting. He says, here's what you need to do. God is answering your prayer. Now go send some people to Joppa and ask for Simon Peter. Well, Cornelius had to have a little question mark above his head in that moment because as far as Cornelius knew, he hadn't been praying to connect with Simon Peter. That hadn't been a part of his prayer. He, he hadn't been asking God for that. And yet God is answering an unasked prayer by telling him what to do. So instantly Cornelius knows something's up, that, that God is out in front of him on this one. See, so often we think that we've got the plan and we've got the, the agenda. We know how it's supposed to go. We're out in front of God and we're praying that God catches up with us. But I want you to see in this passage what Cornelius is understanding. Oh no, God's out in front of me on this one and he's inviting me to join him. Okay. And so what does he do? He does exactly what the angel says. He gets a couple guys together. 
sends him off to Joppa. Joppa, by the way, is beautiful. It's right on the shore of the Mediterranean, gorgeous. It's, it's actually really, really well-preserved even today. So if you go there, you'll just you'll fall in love with the place. A lot of the roofs are flat so that you could go up. It's like kind of patio rooftop kind of a deal. And uh, I've been there. It's gorgeous. Peter was there. He thought it was gorgeous. Like a great place to hang out on this rooftop. And this is what's happening with Peter. By the way, if you're, if you're just checking this whole church thing out, Peter is one of the 12 disciples of Jesus. So Peter had been following Jesus for three years, the whole of Jesus' earthly ministry. He had a front row at the crucifixion. He had a front row seat at the resurrection. So Peter had seen all of this stuff, and now he's hanging out on a rooftop of Simon the Tanner in Joppa. He's going up there to pray. Let's read. The next day, as Cornelius' messengers were nearing the town, Peter went up on the flat roof to pray. It was about noon, and he was hungry. But while a meal was being prepared, he fell into a trance. He saw the sky open, and something like a large sheet was let down by its four corners. In the sheet were all sorts of animals, reptiles, and birds. Then a voice said to Peter, Get up, Peter, kill and eat them. Now, that's a strange little dream. Most of our dreams are a little strange. It's maybe not so strange that he was hungry while he had this dream because it's a dream about food. And uh, although weird kind of food, right? Reptiles. I, I was trying to think. I, I can't think of a reptile I want to kill and eat, but maybe they're out there. So, so here's the deal. It's a, it's a dream actually that targets the dietary practices of the Jewish community. So, so the dream is actually connecting with something that Peter spent his whole life practicing. Peter was a good Jewish boy and practitioner. And so there are many things that he was not allowed to eat because of his adherence to the Jewish custom. And so this, this trance-like vision that he has with the sheet being lowered down and all these animals, and, and there's all sorts of things that he was forbidden to eat, but yet the voice is saying, you need to kill and eat. And Peter's arguing with that voice. No, no, I can't do that. I'm a good Jewish boy. I don't, I don't eat things like this. I don't, I don't do the things that are forbidden for me to do. I don't eat the things that are forbidden me to eat. And besides, they're impure, they're unclean. He's arguing in his dream. And this is what happens. But the voice spoke again. Do not call something unclean if God has made it clean. The same vision was repeated three times. Then the sheet was suddenly pulled up to heaven. Do not call something unclean if God has made it clean. And he has this vision three times. I, I don't know if you've put this together about Peter. Peter, often things happen to Peter in threes. There are three times when he denied who Jesus was. And then Jesus reinstated Peter after the resurrection by reinstating him three separate and distinct times. And now he has this vision and he has to have it three times. I'm basically getting that Peter could not learn on the first try, that it took him a couple of times. And so anyway, three, three times he has this vision. And I want you to see sort of the tension that's got to be happening in Peter's life because he thought he was following God best by adhering to the dietary laws. And now God seems to be opening up this whole new thing for him. And friends, we've spent three weeks, these last series that we just came through called Be the Church. And if you missed that series, I highly recommend you go back and you see, because what's going on is that Jesus has perfectly fulfilled the law. 
It's complete. It's fulfilled. It's done. And now followers of Jesus are no longer bound by that old Jewish law and tradition because we're following Jesus. And you, you start to get in, in this chapter that this dream, this vision, it's actually about more than just the food Peter's supposed to eat. It's actually about who is being included in the plan of God's love, that it's not just the Jewish community, but that it's, in fact, the entire world, the entire non-Jewish community as well. So all this is going on from that, from that dream. Peter's just processing it all. Verse 19, meanwhile, as Peter was puzzling over the vision, the Holy Spirit said to him, three men have come looking for you. Get up, go downstairs, and go with them without hesitation. Don't worry, for I have sent them. So the Holy Spirit says, Peter, get up. There are three men at the door. I would have sent one, but you wouldn't have gone with one, so I sent three. So three men are at the door, and they're going to take you. And, and here's the deal. They're Gentiles. And Peter knows, again, as a good Jewish boy, you don't go with Gentiles. You don't associate with Gentiles. But the Holy Spirit, check it, is telling him, no, I sent them for you. You're to go with them. I just want you to sense what has to be happening personally in Peter's heart. He's feeling a moral dilemma between the traditions he's grown up with and what the Holy Spirit is calling him to do. You have to sense that because there will be times in our life when God calls us to a new thing. He invites us out on a new path. And, and where Peter is sensing, same thing in Cornelius, that God's out in front of me on this one. Because I was over here. I, I'm back here. I was thinking that I was good with what I was eating and who I was associated. And now the Holy Spirit's calling me over here. He's out in front of me. I haven't even been praying about this, Peter's thinking. And yet here's where God's calling me to. Okay, so Peter does, even though he feels this tension inside, he goes with these three men, these Gentiles, and he goes with them to Cornelius' house. He's obedient, even though it's a little funky for him to do these things that were previously not okay for him to do. And uh, he gets there to Cornelius' house, and this is what he says, verse 28. Peter told them, you know, it's against our laws for a Jewish man to enter a Gentile home like this or to associate with you. But God has shown me that I should no longer think of anyone as impure or unclean. Interesting. Peter was able to, with, with God's spirit guiding him, was able to take this vision that he'd had about food and dietary customs and recognize that God wanted him to, rec to see that, no, no, this message of my love, it's for Gentiles as well, not just the Jewish community. And so now, even though I'm breaking laws by being in your home, I'm, I'm breaking custom by hanging out with you Gentiles, I see that what God wanted me to know is I can't call you unclean or impure because his love is for you. And so he, he, he processes a bit with Cornelius. Cornelius says an angel is the one who told me to, to call you and invite you here. And, and so I sensed that God was out in front of me on that. And that's why I did it. And Peter's like, oh, you know, God's out in front of me too. And that's why I'm here. And then Peter says, this is verse 34. I see very clearly that God shows no favoritism. In every nation, you might want to circle that. In every nation, he accepts those who fear him and do what is right. This is the message of good news for all the people of Israel, that there is peace with God through Jesus Christ, who is Lord of all. Circle that last phrase, too. Who is Lord of all. Every nation, Lord of all. 
This is the good news. Okay. And Peter preaches to them, and Cornelius and his entire household trust Jesus Christ that day. They all put their faith in Jesus. They're all baptized. They all receive the gift of the Holy Spirit, which is the promise that we've talked about before. God's Spirit comes and dwells within them. The kingdom of God is expand. The Gentile population is now included in the message of God's love. God receives glory, and Cornelius and Peter get a front row seat at what? At the God who is one step ahead of them. In fact, I want to tell you, if you're filling in the blanks, this is what we see. Peter's experience revealed God was one step ahead of him. See, that's what Cornelius discovered. Cornelius discovered that God was one step ahead. Hey, go get Peter. He hadn't even thinking about Peter, asking about Peter. He didn't even know he wanted to hear about Jesus, but he did. And God knew it. God was one step ahead. So God said, go get Peter. And Cornelius obeys. Hey, I want to be a part of this. I want to say yes to this invitation. And so I want to, I want to track where God is. Peter, the same thing. He, he hadn't been thinking about that stuff, praying about it. But all of a sudden, Holy Spirit's saying, look, there's a new way to think about these old customs. I, I want you to understand, don't call this food unclean if God's made it clean. Don't call people unclean if God wants them to be clean. And, and so he's saying, no, uh, God's out in front of me. I'm going to say yes and be obedient to him. And what they both find is that there's this incredible freedom as they say yes to the adventure that God is inviting them into. We're the ones who box God in. We're the ones who get ahead of God and wait for God to catch up with us. And I want you to understand that's impossible. You can't get ahead of God. The only reason you don't see maybe that God's ahead of you is because you're too busy looking in your rearview mirror waiting for God to catch up with you. He's already ahead of you, you, you see? He already knows what he has for you, and he's inviting you into that new day. And so we just, we, we got to get our minds there. We got to get our, our hearts there. Because what we see in Peter and Cornelius is they are able to live very free. They're able to live very free. They're, they're able to go after things they, they never knew they were going to go after. Or they, they're able to step away from customs and traditions that they never knew they needed to step away from. They're able to live absolutely free and to experience the opportunities that God is calling them into. That's a fearless way to live, by the way. And so there's a fearlessness there. And they're able to live with a bias toward action. And God gets glorified. All because they were convinced that God was one step ahead of them. In that unknown gray area that's right out in front of you, God's already there. In that fog called the future that you cannot see through, God's already there. And he is inviting you to join him. He is beckoning you. He is calling you. He is, he is whispering his invitation for you to join him. God's one step ahead of you. And I say it very specifically like that, one step Ahead, Because some of you, I know what you do. You, you, you go sort of infinitely beyond one step. Of course, pastor, he's one step ahead of me. He, he's 10,000 million miles ahead of me. He holds all of the space-time continuum in the palm of his hand. That he, he is absolutely cosmically bigger than me. And so, yeah, he's way ahead of me. He's sovereign over everything. And I don't want to dispute the theology. I, I wouldn't even really dispute the theology. I just want you to make it personal today. Because this story in Acts, it's a very personal story to Cornelius. 
It's a very personal story to Peter, and I want you to make it very personal to you. God, one step ahead of you, inviting you to join him in your future. See, that's personal right there. If we can get our minds around that, the implications are huge. Look at this verse from Psalm 138. The Lord will work out his plans for my life. For your faithful love, O Lord, endures forever. Don't abandon me, for you made me. What I'd love for you to do is what I've done in my Bible. Circle the, word, the words, uh, his plans, and the words, my life, and then put a little arrow between them. The Lord will work out his plans for my life. He is one step ahead of me, inviting me to join him in his plans for my life. Now, as you read through the book of Acts with this kind of a lens, you'll see it again and again and again. You're going to see this principle unfold again and again. It's not just Peter who understands this truth. If you're filling in the blanks, Paul was convinced of the same thing. Paul was convinced that God was one step ahead of him, that God was right in front of him, inviting him to join God in this journey that Paul wanted, or that God wanted Paul to unleash into. And again, for those of you just checking this whole church thing out, Paul is often referred to as the Apostle Paul. He was, without question, the world's greatest evangelist. He went through the, the known world at the time, preaching Jesus and planting churches. And, and actually, about three-fourths of the New Testament, the, the, the part of the Bible that starts with the life of Jesus and goes to the end of the book, he wrote about three-fourths of that, the New Testament, in the form of letters that he actually sent to churches that he had previously planted with encouragement and instruction, etc. So Paul was this amazing communicator of the good news of God's love, largely to the Gentiles, to the non-Jewish world at the time. And the passage I want to show you today is found in Acts 21, starting in verse 27, and it goes through Acts 22. It's this incredible episode where Paul is in the city of Jerusalem, large Jewish community there, and there are agitators that stir things up against Paul. They, they begin to tell lies, they begin to, to spread uh, false rumors, harsh untruths about Paul that stir up the agitation, and, and it gets volatile, and it becomes so volatile that now there's this riot going on. There's this mob that, that's taking place here in Jerusalem. So let's pick it up in verse 30. It says, the whole city was rocked by these accusations against Paul, and a great riot followed. Paul was grabbed and dragged out of the temple, and immediately the gates were closed behind him. As they were trying to kill him, word reached the commander of the Roman regiment that all Jerusalem was in an uproar. So you're picturing the scene, you're picturing that there's this huge riot taking place, hundreds and hundreds of people mobbing around Paul, they want him dead, they drag him out of the city, they're beating him, they're ripping his clothes, they're trying to kill him, and then the Roman commander comes in with his soldiers, and they rescue Paul from death by arresting him to throw him in jail. Now, let's just be super clear. Anytime you are rescued from death by being arrested and thrown in jail, that's a bad day for you, right? Nothing good's happening right there. 
I just want you to see, so I've been a pastor for many years. My buddy Scott Dudley's here from Bellevue Presbyterian. He's one of my mentors. He's been in ministry for many years. We've had some bad days in ministry. We've never had a bad day like Paul had, right? I got a bad email or two. They're ripping Paul's hair out of his body. Like, that's a bad day. So, so the Roman, you just got to picture it. He, he's saved from the crowd by being arrested and put in chains. And then the crowd is still so thick around him and these soldiers that the soldiers have to hoist him up above their heads and, and carry him through the crowd. So he's, he's like Roman legion crowd surfing right here as they're, as they're carting him through the crowd that is shouting in unison, kill him, kill him, right? Man, that's encouraging if you're a pastor. And yet... Paul, instead of this why me or God, where are you, catch up with me kind of approach, Paul is convinced that God's one step ahead. So as the soldiers carry him up some stairs, Paul gets an idea. Take a look at this. Okay, Paul gets an idea. He says, please, let me talk to these people. The commander agreed. So Paul stood on the stairs and motioned to the people to be quiet. Soon a deep silence enveloped the crowd, and he addressed them in their own language, Aramaic. Now, where did Paul get that idea? He's barely escaped with his life. And he's in chains, and they're, they're trying to get him out of this really volatile scene. And he's like, oh, wait, wait, wait. you got to let me speak to him real quick. And, and, and so they, apparently the commander's like, oh, I work for you. Here, yeah, have some time. And, and so they set him down, and then he, he motions for the crowd to be quiet, and they're quiet. Like, think about that for a moment. You've got hundreds of people, kill him, kill him. Oh, he's speaking. Oh, shh, shh, quiet, quiet, I want to hear this. <laughs> shh. You know, and they're just listening to what Paul, what's going on here? Paul knows God's ahead of him in this. Paul understands it. Even this is an opportunity for me. Even as crazy as this is, and this isn't what I planned, but I know God is right in front of me on this one. Hey, hey, can I talk to the people? Oh, sure, why not? Here, you know. And, and then they're quiet and they listen. And I do just want you to understand that Paul could have begun to engage in public relations in this moment. Paul could have begun to sort of soothe everybody out and just try to just try to quiet everybody's nerves a little bit and after all they were rioting because he was preaching Jesus so what does Paul take this opportunity to do he preaches Jesus and he begins to tell his story and he begins to talk about how Jesus has changed his life and and then Paul actually ends his little sermonette by saying exactly what Peter had discovered that we just talked about, that God's message of love actually isn't confined just to the Jewish population. It's for the Gentiles as well. It's for everybody, the entire Gentile, non-Jewish world. And of course, the crowd goes crazy again. They want him dead. The commanders have to take him off. And, and it's, it doesn't end well for Paul in that moment. But what I want you to see is it almost doesn't matter how it wraps up. That what Paul was convinced of is that God, no matter what happens, that God's right ahead of me in this. And if there's an opportunity, I'm going to take it because I'll see that that's God inviting me into it. And if God can receive his glory and if the kingdom can be expanded, then I want to say yes to the God who is one step ahead of me. 
And just understand what might change about your life if you had that same conviction as well. Understand how much more free you might live if you were convinced that whatever you're going through right now, that God was already one step ahead of you. Just one. Yeah, he's over the whole thing. He sees it all. He knows the whole tapestry. He's knitting it all together. But what if he's just one step ahead of you, inviting you to join him there? It would change the way we think about things. It would change the way that we live. If we viewed God as one step ahead of us, providing the setting for us to live, providing the opportunity for us to enjoy, providing the prompting and the kingdom growth and the personal growth and the blessing, that God was one step ahead, because that's what Cornelius discovered, and that's what Peter discovered, that's what Paul discovered. Bill Hybels wrote this book called Axiom, and in it, one of the things he talks about is living with a bias toward action. Living with a bias toward movement, doing something. And he talks a little bit about how we, we, all of us, we live with a bias toward something. Some of us live with a bias toward laziness, or some of us live with a bias toward not stirring the pot. Some of us live with a bias toward a conviction that the status quo is just fine. But he's, he talks in his book about living with a bias toward action, that this is a freedom that we have when we're in Jesus. There's actually a freedom that we have if we're following Jesus, that we live with this bias toward action. God, where are you ahead of me, and how can I follow you there? King David lived with a bias toward action. As you read through the life of King David, you'll see that he was absolutely convinced that God was one step ahead of him, going ahead of him, blessing the journey that he was on. Psalm 139, verse 4, you know everything I do. You know what I'm going to say even before I say it. You go before me and follow me. You place your hand of blessing on my head. Isn't that beautiful? The thought that God, one step ahead of you, he knows what you're going to say before you say it, what you're going to think before you think it. He knows what's going to happen. He's right in front of you, inviting you to join him, his plans for your life. If you're a follower of Jesus today, you know that one of the last commandments that Jesus ever gave before he went to the right hand of the Father is he, he gave this command to his disciples. He said, go. And the whole thing's built on that predicate. Go. It's a verb. Go into all the world and make disciples. Go, teach them to obey everything that I've taught you. Go, baptize them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Go, right? The, 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 the last commandment of Jesus to those who follow him, by proxy, that's you and I today, is the verb go. And yet so many followers of Jesus act and live as if his final command was stay. Stop. Heal. Good boy. We, we stay put. And we think that, that, that we won't move until God tells us to move, but, but that's really not the biblical example, right? Erwin McManus says, because of the last command of Jesus, followers of Jesus are free. We're free to live with the green light. God's a big God. If we're moving in the wrong direction, he knows how to stop us. He knows how to shut a door. He knows how to tell us to stop. But the whole rest of the time, we should live as if we have a green light. 
because Jesus has called us to go. We're free to live with a bias toward action. Why is that? Because God is one step ahead of us, and he's inviting us to join him. Now, just picture, what would it look like at Overlake if we all got this? If we got our minds around this and our lives around this, what would your bring invitation look like as you invite friends and family to join you in your faith journey? You'd be free. You'd seize every opportunity. You'd have all this joy as you're inviting folks along. What, what would it look like in terms of our groups, our support groups? What would it look like in terms of our life groups? How much love, authentic care would happen? How much transparency we would be free? Why? Because God's already there. We know it. We're just following him. What would our serving look like? You wouldn't think about, oh, do I have enough time for this, enough energy for this? Do I even have the skills theologically? Am I mature enough? In my no, no, God's already ahead of me in this, inviting me to join him. How much more freedom would there be? How about in our giving, in our generosity? We've already seen God sees it. He loves our generosity. Everything that we do, generous giving for the Lord, he sees it, makes a note. It matters to him how much more free we would be. Because we trust that God's one step ahead of us. He's caring for us financially. He knows where we are. He's inviting us into his plans for our life. I, I just want you to sort of see all of this stuff because it has implications all the way around our lives. Pastor Josh was telling me he was in Turkey uh, a couple months ago and he was visiting our ministry partners over there in some of the refugee camps that are along the Syrian border. Many of you already know the story. You've been tracking it in the news. There are about 1.7 million Syrian refugees in these camps along the Turkish border. 1.7 million people. They fled the civil unrest in Syria. They have actually fled ISIS and the, and the progress that ISIS has made and, and the horror there. And, and they have landed in these camps along the Turkish border. And what Pastor Josh was finding out is that the initial funding from the United Nations has all dried up. And so there's this sense of hopelessness and desperation there, really difficult. And he was talking to one of the directors of the camps, and the, and the directors was telling him, so many of our refugees of all ages, they have PTSD, post-traumatic stress disorder, because of what they've seen, what they've experienced as they've fled and where this is really horrific is with nursing moms because the PTSD, it actually prevents the nursing mothers of infants from making breast milk. So their infants are starving to death. When Pastor Josh heard that, he made a quick executive decision. He purchased a truckload of formula and diapers. It had it delivered the very next day. They were able to distribute it. Now, I want you to understand, it didn't solve the big problem, right? But it, but it met a need immediately. And over Lake right now, we're still planning and praying, God, what is it that you want us to do in order to wade in, in order to, to make a difference here? But I want you to see, Josh was free to make that decision. Why? Because he knew God was one step ahead. I want you to think about your life for a moment. What would it look like if you believe God was one step ahead of whatever you're facing today? Some of you, you've got a sinful habit you've been trying to kick. So I declare to you today, God's one step ahead of you in your victory and freedom right now. And he's inviting you to join him. Some of you, and I know some of your stories, you're facing intense brokenness in your marriage. 
Some of you are you're, you're even maybe walking the road of divorce right now. It's, in fact, it's, it's shattered beyond all hope or recognition. But what if you believed, even in the midst of that, God was one step ahead of you, that he was one step ahead of your wholeness, he's one step ahead of your joy, he's one step ahead of your integrity, and he's walking right in front of you, inviting you to join him. What if you began to believe that God was, was standing in front of you and, and, and you believe in him for the wholeness of your marriage? Or what if he, he was one step ahead of you and, and you just started believing him for good communication? Do you see what I'm saying? That, like, it has profound implications on all of our relationships. For some of us, we know that God's calling us to do something for him specifically. Maybe there's this risk that we've been afraid to take. There's this change in our role or how we do our role that we've been wrestling with. We know God's been stirring us, but we're insecure and we're anxious and we're worried about taking that step. But what if you believe that God was already there and he's just inviting you to join him? See, suddenly it starts changing everything that we begin to live a lot more free. We have a lot more confidence in God. The point is you can live with a bias toward action because you're not alone jumping into the great wide open. God is already there. And he's just inviting you to join him. I found out that my buddy Doug Durst, about four weeks ago, he was diagnosed with a tumor in his brain. Doug's a great friend of mine. He, he's so joyful. He challenges me all the time. Just a, just a great friend. He diagnosed with brain cancer. And he, he was telling me this story that he, he went into a subway the, the week after the diagnosis, and the guy behind the counter asked him, hey, how are you doing today? And Doug goes, I'm awesome. I just found out that I have brain cancer. And food has never tasted so good. Conversations have never been so rich. The love that I feel has never been this deep, that, that, that I am having an absolute blast. How are you doing? <laughs> and there was nobody else in the restaurant at the time, and they begin to have a conversation about the kingdom of God. And I just want to say that Doug doesn't use that as a bit. That's not like a bit he uses. It, it, he just was following the God who's one step ahead of him. And Doug, to my knowledge, he has no idea how this thing is going to play out. He does not know where it's going to go. But, but he is simply trusting that God is already there. And he's joyfully following where he leads. So, so I want to live like that. Overlake, and I want you to live like that. I want us to live that free. I want us to live that faith-filled, trusting that God is right ahead of us, that he loves us, that he's one step in front, inviting us to join him. Here's the application. I am called to do the loving thing as I fearlessly follow God who's one step ahead of me. I'm called to do the loving thing as I fearlessly follow God who's one step ahead of me. The road ahead's not scary or dark, unknown. God is already there, shining his light, inviting you to experience the adventure that he has ahead of you. I say this, one last expression. You know, the next time you're reading the headlines, 
and you read about something that breaks your heart because it's the latest tragedy or it's the latest ISIS atrocity or natural disaster or whatever's causing fear and grief and worry in your life, maybe bed bugs in a resort in Florida, I don't know. I just want you to understand that when you're reading that news, God is already there. This is why in the scripture, again and again, we're told, don't worry. Don't be anxious. Don't be afraid. See, you're finding out about that thing for the very first time, but God is already there, and he's inviting us to join him. So I just want to say, Overlake, this means that you can live free. This means that you can live fearless. This means that you can live with a bias toward action. You can live your life with a green light. Because where is God? He's one step ahead. All right, let's close our eyes, bow our heads, let's pray. Lord, thank you so much. Thank you for the way that you love us, the way that you invite us personally, each one of us, to follow where you lead. And Lord, we're thankful for the example of Cornelius and of Peter and of Paul. We ask that you would add our lives to, to that testimony that we would live free and with a bias toward action because we are convinced that you're one step ahead. We're ready to follow you wherever you lead. Lord, we ask that you'd meet us in our brokenness and bring your wholeness. We ask that you'd meet us in our pain and that you'd bring us balm. We ask that you would meet us in our fear and give us your courage. We wanna follow you well. We pray this for today and for every day. In the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior, amen. Thank you.